0: Hi, this is Mike. Thank you for being a part of what God's doing at the Heights Fellowship. We hope you enjoy this message. We know it's not the same thing as being here in person, but we pray that God would move as you listen and as God applies this to your heart. As well, a hand for the band. We can love on them a little bit. We're actually going to be talking about exactly what that song Was about today. We're going to be talking about the resurrection. Like I told you, it's kind of a non traditional Easter service because we're not going to be talking about the resurrection. We're going to be talking about the resurrection kind of before the resurrection. One of our guys uh, here at the Heights uh, came to Christ just within the last couple of weeks, uh, very well advanced into his adulthood. You love to see God moving into adults. I mean, I love to see children saved and all that, don't get me wrong, but when you see an adult, especially somebody my age who comes to Christ, you know that's a pretty serious decision for them to make. It's taking them a long time to get there. So we're, we're rejoicing over that. Yeah, but he texts me. We have these lengthy text exchanges in the evenings as he's reading through the scripture. And he says, you know, the resurrection... It, everything about Christianity hinges on the resurrection. I thought that was so profound that he got that so greatly and so quickly. And, and it's very much true. It, listen, the, all the promises of God fall onto an empty grave. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Because if the grave of Jesus is ever occupied at any point, if it's ever occupied, Christianity's false. None of this is true, it's just good sentiment. So this morning, I want to talk about the truth of the resurrection. Like I mentioned, we want to talk about the resurrection before the resurrection. We're going to look in John chapter 11, and as you're finding that in your Bibles or your smart devices or, or you're looking it up or whatever, let me just ask you this question. I'm glad to have the university students in the room today because you're our experts on, on understanding all this. Have you ever been ghosted? Okay, some of you guys, the old people in the room are going like, honey, what does he mean? What's ghosted mean? You know, well, ghosted is what happens when somebody ends a relationship with you by with, with no explanation, by suddenly withdrawing from communication with you. They don't call you. They don't write you. They don't text you. They don't put stuff on their socials about you. They just cease to communicate with you. Well, John chapter 11 is the first recorded instance in the Bible of something like this happening. Jesus had some friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They have an issue, and Jesus, at least from their perspective for a while, ghosts them. They they just don't hear from Jesus, and they really need to hear from Jesus. And then one day, they actually got to see a ghost, and everything about their opinion of that Change, And so this morning, we want to look at that. And I want to start with this truth. The truth is simply this. We call this where we live the land of the living. Because on the other side, well, that's the land of the dead. And, and we get that backwards. We actually live in the land of the dying. Think about that. Every one of us is dying. It's just a matter of time. And I don't mean to be Debbie Downer here on Easter Sunday. The truth of the matter is, and by the way, look around. You look to the person on either side of you and just say, hey, you look marvelous and you know who you are because you're all dressed up. You got your Easter clothes on. You look great, by the way. But the truth of the matter is, in our daily lives, we're just walking around in our grave clothes. Because these bodies are going to wear out, and at some point, we're going to die. Romans chapter 7, Paul writes to that church, and he says, you know, here's the deal about that. When we live according to our human nature, our sinful desires are stirred up by the law of God, and they're working in our bodies, and everything we do ends in death. And some of you guys are first responders, work in medicine, work in hospitals and for doctors and that kind of stuff. And you, you traffic in that kind of stuff every day as people come in with illnesses and ailments and problems. And unfortunately, some of you guys may have had recently to had to look at somebody and say, listen, you know, you probably need to be making some final arrangements here. We live in the land of the dying. But that's why the resurrection is so cool. Because the resurrection is a statement by God like, no, 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 this isn't the end. Jesus' friends are dealing with this. And the question of the day comes out of Jesus' dialogue with them. He looks at one of them and he says, your brother is going to be raised up. And I want you to put yourself in the emotion of this moment. Because they've been told... Their loved one, or they know their loved one is dead, and they come to Jesus and say, hey, you could have done something about this, and you didn't. And Jesus says, your brother will be raised up. And Martha looks at him and says, don't tell me that. I know he'll be raised up on the last day. That does me no good today. And Jesus looks at her and says, no, Martha, you don't have to wait till the end. I am, right now, resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, they're going to live. And everyone who lives believing in me, they never ultimately die at all. And here's the question. Do you believe this? That question resonates down through the millennia to us, just as fresh, just as real as it was when Jesus asked Martha, I think Jesus would ask us today on Resurrection Sunday, do you believe this? And so the ultimate question is something we have to answer. You know, the truth of John 11, kind of the ultimate truth of John 11 is this, that the dynamic power of Jesus the eternal power of Jesus over the static power of death is a very real thing and John 11 reminds us of that that God does more than just supply power for the end of our living on this earth he provides power that kind of resurrection power for the daily living through this earth and the question that Jesus would ask us is hey do you believe this Because I think if we did, it would make a difference in the way we live. And so we're going to ask the question today, okay, what does a ghost know that I don't know? Or what does a ghost know that he would tell us this is very real? The very first thing a ghost would tell us, if Lazarus is our ghost, this is the story of the raising of Lazarus, is guys, it's all real. Here's how the story goes. And so a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, a village village. Uh, The village of Mary and her sister Martha. And by the way, this is the Mary whose brother Lazarus was sick. This Mary is the one who came and poured perfume on Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. You remember that story? This is that family. Well, here's the deal. Lazarus is sick. Now, we're told that Lazarus dies. This illness claims him. This is the illness that, that took him. We're, by the way, never told what it is. It could, I think God doesn't tell us just so we can put ourselves and say, okay, I have somebody. And, you know, maybe it's the dreaded C word, or maybe it's something related to the pandemic, or, or maybe it's something else, a heart condition or, or something else that is taken, but he's, he's gone. He claimed his life. Now, here's the sad thing, and this is where we hear in the West a lot of people questioning, well, wait a minute, I thought Jesus loved him. Well, He does. Did did he love Jesus? Well, apparently he did. Did did the family love Jesus? Yeah. They had believed Jesus and trusted Jesus for healing. They had even interceded on behalf of Lazarus to Jesus for his health, for his healing. And it it didn't happen. How could God be so uncaring? Why, Why would God allow that to happen? Well, a ghost knows all of this is very, very real. Lazarus had spent four days in the afterlife. We find out later he's been dead four days by the time Jesus arrives. But Lazarus, at the point Jesus brings him out of the grave, understands as very, very real some things. He understood the mortality is real. We all have a date with death. He understands that heaven and hell and the afterlife and angels and demons and and God, all of that stuff is very real. All the stuff that our people and our philosophers and our our authors and our composers and our scientists stand on this side and say, oh, we're not so sure. A ghost will say, oh yeah, it's very real. By the way, life for the lover of God in, in eternity is not skating around on a cloud playing a harp. It's very dynamic and active and vibrant. A ghost understands that. A few years ago, they they took a poll of Americans. These are Americans, not Europeans or anybody else, just Americans. And they asked them, do you believe? 90% of Americans said that they believed in God. 84% said they believed the soul survives after death. 82% believe in heaven. 69% believe in hell, 68% believe in the devil, 51% said they believe in ghosts and the paranormal. Here's an interesting, you may not have read this study, but they took a study of a poll of ghosts immediately after that, and 100% of ghosts believe in God, 100% believe in the soul survives after death, all the way down 100% they believe these things, which prompts me to ask the question. If you could have the vision and clarity of someone one second after they passed, how would you live your life differently today? How would you live your life differently this week? I think if we got that, if we really took that to heart and believed it the way a ghost did, the way Lazarus did, you'd live completely and totally differently. A ghost knows it's all real. Second thing, a ghost understands that God is moved when we plea, when we pray to him. Here's how the story picks up. So the sisters send word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus says to the disciples, this sickness will not end in death. So that's comforting to know that God in the, the, the bod, God in flesh says, well, he's, this isn't going to end in his death. No, this is for God's glory, that the Son may be glorified through it. And Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, what does he do? He stayed where he was two more days. You would think that if Jesus really loved them, that he would be more urgent. Man, when when you're sick and you have a need, you want somebody who cares about you there. All the women in the room are going, man, you have no idea what a baby my husband is when he's sick. He's like, he wants me there every minute to take care of him. You're like, it's a cold. Get over it. So Jesus stays two more days. And then he said to the disciples, okay, now let's go back to Judea. Jesus wasn't in the region at that time, and he said, go back. I want you to pay attention to the context of the message. They didn't write to Jesus or send word to Jesus and say, listen, it's your responsibility to be here. You have the the title of being our leader. You must be here. They didn't appeal to him on the basis of duty or on the basis of, of responsibility. They didn't appeal to him on the basis of anything. What does it say? The one you love. Isn't that a cool statement? They knew that was the character of Jesus. To love them. So let me ask you a question. In your interactions with God, in your interactions with Jesus, do you view them? Do you view it in terms of love? A lot of us, let's be honest, in the West, a lot of us have a very business-like relationship with God. If I do this, then God's going to do that. God, it's your responsibility if I'm faithful and I go to church and I do all the right things and I give to the church and I serve in the church and I'm responsible and I'm moral within the community, that when I have a need, your part of the deal is you're supposed to help me out. And we get mad at God, we get frustrated with God when He doesn't. How would that be viewed differently if you saw God, you saw Jesus in relationship to His love for you. Does he love you? Well, yeah. Okay, if he loves you, is he going to let something happen to you that's ultimately going to destroy you? Well, no, because he loves me. They write to Jesus and they say, the one you love is sick. And Jesus is moved by that plea, which takes us to a, a little bit deeper step into this. But We also, the ghost also understands that God is motivated not to just leave us static where that is. It's a very dynamic, very organic thing. He draws us deeper into intimacy than what we've known before. So you remember it said Jesus gets the message and he waits two days. And then he says, okay, let's go back to Judea. And after this, he went on to tell them, oh, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he's going to get better. Now, take a time out. The reason Jesus wasn't there is because he was, his life was in danger and he had left to go preach in other places until it kind of settled down a little bit there. And so the disciples are going, well, I don't know that we need to go back. And then Jesus tells him, listen, Lazarus is asleep. Why would he say Lazarus is asleep if Lazarus is dead? Well, that's because God always views death in this life as sleep. In fact, the New Testament is full of references to believers who die being referred to as asleep. Well, if I go to sleep, I'm going to wake up again, right? So the disciples hear this. They hear Jesus say this. And guys, let me talk to you for a minute. You've been in this business meeting with the guys. You've been in this fraternity. You've been in this locker room. They say, oh, Lazarus is asleep. Oh, he's asleep. He probably needs his beauty rest, doesn't he? We'll just leave him asleep, Jesus. We don't need to go back to Judea right now. Let it settle down some more. We'll just stay here. And Jesus has to clarify with them. Jesus, verse 13 says, had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he has to tell them plainly, All right, you bunch of knuckleheads. When I said he was asleep, I meant he was dead. Are you not tracking with me here? And for your sake, listen to this. I'm glad I wasn't there. Why would Jesus be glad he wasn't there? Well, what would Jesus have done if he was there? He would have healed him. We're told during the ministry of Jesus that in Judea, where Lazarus lived in that region, that death that, that sickness was almost unheard of. Because they'd just bring him to Jesus and he'd heal him. Jesus knew that would have happened as he, if he was there. But he says, I'm glad that I wasn't there. In essence, he's saying, I'm glad that Lazarus is dead. But he's saying, the reason this has happened is so that you may believe. He's drawing them into a deeper intimacy. He's showing them something they don't know. He's giving them a clue into who he is that they haven't gotten yet. And so he says, okay, let's go to him. I want to talk about the elephant then in the room for a minute. Why did Jesus wait? It says, when Jesus knew he was sick, therefore, in in the New American translation, when therefore Jesus knew he was sick, he waited two more days. Jesus deliberately delayed his travel. No, 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 don't book it for tomorrow. Book it for two days from now. Jesus was absent. Jesus was silent. We don't know that he sent word back. He didn't return phone calls. He didn't answer emails or texts. There was no activity on his social media. He ghosted them, at least from their perspective. And they have to be wondering, does Jesus really care? And then the text begins to explain itself to us. Jesus said, it's not unto death, but it's for the glory of God. Well, Jesus, how can you say it's not unto death when you just told us that he died? Obviously, you were wrong. And it got worse than you thought. You missed this one. And Jesus said, no, it's not. I'm not done. See, here's the point. Some of you guys are dealing with problems. Some of you guys are dealing with issues. Some of you guys are, are dealing with things that really have you kind of, kind of in a bad place. And, and you, want, you want to trust God, but He just seems to be silent. Let me just remind you, God ain't done yet. What, what if I die? Then He'll raise you up. What if, what if this sickness takes me, I've, this is something over the last four or five years because of the heart stuff I've gone through, I've had to confront in my own kind of psyche and my own, uh, my own way of dealing with it. What happens? You're going to be in heaven. It's going to get better. So don't worry about it. And it takes away a lot of the stress when you do that. Listen, The sickness isn't in the death, but it's for the glory of God. And Jesus tells him plainly, I'm glad that that I wasn't there. You're going to get something. You're going to hear something, find something about me. Here's the point. When God's trying to draw us in, intimacy is always a function of proximity. Because God can bless you from afar. And you can still remain distant from Him. Because that's His job. Just do your job, God. And You can be just as distant as can be. But guys, when God's trying to make you intimate with Him, you can't be intimate and stay remote. He will draw you in and He says, let's go to Him. Because here's the deal. As He's trying to develop intimacy in you, and a ghost knows this, He's going to give you a clearer picture of Himself than something you've ever known. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Remember that. We'll come back to it. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. House full of mourners. all right? When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Don't read by that. What's going on here? Why didn't Mary stay at home? Now, time out. Let's step back and ask, okay, what do we know about this family and how Jesus relates to them? You remember the story? One day Jesus is teaching in the house. Mary is sitting in there just locked in. I mean, she is tracking with Jesus. Martha comes to Jesus and says, hey, 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 make her get up off her tail and come help me in the kitchen. How can I provide and be hospitable when she's slacking? And Jesus looks at Martha and says, man, she selected the better thing. Let her be. You remember that story? Where's Mary? She ain't coming. Why didn't Mary come? You see the dynamic. Mary's wounded, y'all. Jesus' delay has wounded Mary. She is ticked. She is upset. She doesn't want to see Jesus right now because he let her down. Ever been there? Some of you guys may be there today. Some of you guys online may say, I hear you. Martha comes out because Martha's doing her job. She's the spokesmodel for the family. And she comes out to Jesus and she says, Not hi, Jesus. How you doing, Jesus? How was your travel? Was it dusty on the road today? Was one of those really hot Judean days really make you thirsty. Let me make you some lemonade. She didn't do any of that. She comes out. She looks at Jesus. She said, You know what? If you had been here, my brother would still be alive. He would never have died. And I know that God will do whatever you ask, but I'm mad at you. And Jesus looks at her and says, your brother will rise again. We read this earlier. And she goes, oh, I know he'll rise again in the last time, but that doesn't help me now. And Jesus says, no, 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 I am the resurrection life. He's given her a picture telling her, listen, I am more than just a healer. See, that was their picture. They had this kind of unclear, unfinished, muddy picture of who Jesus was. Martha says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Later on, Mary confronts Jesus and says, you know what? If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Verse 37, the crowd of mourners around kind of followed, and they say, if Jesus had been here, he could have kept this man from dying. You kind of get in the picture of what their expectation was here. You see, they knew Jesus was a rabbi and a teacher, right? He's a great teacher. He's a fighter. He speaks well, but he's, a, he's not a very good pastor right now. They knew firsthand that Jesus was a healer. They had seen and heard the stories of what Jesus had done. They knew in their mind that Jesus could have prevented this. They also had a sense that God, that Jesus is the great provider. But Jesus is showing them something even more than that guys, when you get here in your relationship with God, when you, you come to believe and trust the fact that He is the giver and sustainer of life itself, that I can trust Him with my life. I can trust Him with my eternity. And so Martha comes and confronts Jesus and he responds, I am the resurrection life. Take a time out. Stop right there. What do you, where have you heard that before? You remember what God told Moses when he's sending him to Pharaoh, Moses says, who do I tell him sent me? And he says, I am that I am. The self-existent God. The name that the Jews wouldn't even pronounce. I am sent you. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, Martha, I'm God. I alone hold life in my hands. And if you believe, if you live in me, the secret to eternity is not a business relationship. It's not an association. It is trusting in me and who I am. Do you believe this? And to Martha's credit, she says, yes, That's that's what I believe. I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Now stop. Where have you heard that before? Another place. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, hey, who are the people saying that I am? And the disciples say, well, some think you're Elijah and some think you're one of the other prophets. He says, no, 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 no. Who do you? say that I am. And Peter pops off, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, you got it. That's what I'm trying to get you to get. I am God. I was sent to this earth to do the work of Messiah, to redeem my people, to buy them back from death, to buy them back from the grave, to overcome sin. That's who I am. And Martha says, yes, I believe that's who you are. That's the great statement of faith. The great statement of who Jesus is, and it yields to his lordship in the world. What Jesus is trying to get us to understand is listen, if that's true, then my delays are not denials of what you need. Wait on me. I'm working on this. That when God ghosts you, he's not giving up. His silences are not oversights; They are answers in themselves. I am doing a greater work. And so sometimes, and a ghost knows this, God's saying, hey, you got to change your prayers. This text is very pivotal in my life. I don't know how much you know about my story with Linnell. Linnell and I have been married 35 years as of two weeks ago. There was a time in our life that we were going through the worst marital stuff we've ever gone through. We were were in the middle of a divorce, and and we're praying for our marriage, and, and we're praying, God, heal it, God, heal it, God, heal it. Some of you guys are doing that right now. Some of you guys have done that. And in, in the course of that, in my quiet time one morning, I'm reading this text, and I'm hearing Martha and Mary and the people saying, if you'd been here, you could have stopped this. You could have prevented this. So heal it. Fix it. And Jesus says, you have the wrong picture. I don't need to heal something that's already dead. I need to resurrect something that's already dead. Do you believe this? God began to convict me about that. And I I talked to one of my dear friends who's gone to be with the Lord now, named Chuck Tipton. And I said, Chuck, I'm I'm reading this. And Chuck looks at me and says, Michael, here's what I know. When I'm in times like this, sometimes God means I I need to change my prayer. And I looked at him and said, that's the stupidest thing anybody's ever said to me. And he said, I'm just telling you, that's what the Lord He's telling me, and so I took that to heart, and we began to pray that God would resurrect a dead marriage, and he did. But the prayer had to change first. We had to change what we were expecting. So after this, Martha goes back and says to Mary, I love the dynamic between the sisters. You get the sense that we don't know this. We think Martha's the oldest sister, and Martha's a master manipulator. Because Jesus didn't say, where's Mary? I need to see her. Martha goes back to Mary and says, Jesus wants to see you. Get out of this house. Go see Jesus. So some of you guys are going like, I have that brother. Or I have that sister, right? So when Mary heard this, oh, he wants to see me. She gets up quickly and goes to him. And Jesus isn't into the village of Bethany yet. He's still at the place where he had met Martha and the Jews, who saw all these mourners who see Mary run out of the room, well, they run out with her. So they're all going out together. They thought she was going to the grave to mourn some more. But when Mary gets to where Jesus was, she stops. In the presence of the Lord is the best place to be when you're in crisis. And she just falls at his feet. Sometimes that's all you can do, right? She just collapses and, and her frustration and her anger and her mourning and her grief and all those things are at play. But she falls at the feet of Jesus. Says the same thing. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So let me ask you this question this morning. Do you trust Jesus enough to let him make a mess of your life? Do you trust Jesus enough to follow him and do what he asked you to do and, and let it make a mess of your business? Or make a mess of your business? family or make a mess of your marriage or make a mess of your other relationships? Do you trust Him that much? Do you believe this? That's in essence what Jesus is asking of these women in this story. He knows you've got to change your prayers and trust Him in the mess because life's messy. And God knows it. He's not put off by the, by the disorganization of your world or your life. A ghost also, by the way, knows how deeply God mourns sin. Why did Lazarus die? Well, he's a sinner like the rest of us. He got sick like the rest of us because we're all sinners. And sin does that. Sin, sin is in our world and it makes us sick and it causes problems and it, it breaks families and it, it breaks lives and it breaks relationships. And Jesus, as he sees Mary weeping, he sees the Jews who had come to mourn with her weeping. Look what it says. He's deeply moved. You know what that means in the Greek? It goes all the way down into your bowels and just clenches your guts, man. That's the picture. Why would Jesus have that reaction? Have you thought about that? I mean, Jesus knows what he's going to do. Jesus had already told the disciples, I'm going to go do a resurrection. When he said, let's go to him, he was telling them, he's dead, let's go to him, I'm going to resurrect him. So why is he affected this way? Because guys, sin affects the the emotions of God so deeply. He mourns over your sin. He mourns over my sin. He sees the effect. Parents, you've seen your kid do something you warned them not to do, right? And, And you're angry, you're grieved, you're frustrated. You see what it costs them. You know this is such a bad thing. That's the visceral response of Jesus. He's deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. And so he says, okay, where is he? Where have you laid him? Show me the grave. And so they say, come and see, Lord. And Jesus weeps. He weeps over your sin. He weeps over your death. He weeps over your fallenness. He weeps over your grief. He weeps over that. And the people around him recognized it wasn't just show how he loved his friend. Man, we've all lost people we've loved in these days, haven't we? Those tears are real. They're bitter. God knows those tears. And still they say, he could have stopped this. You, you hear them in the background. You hear the church ladies in the background Come, yep, he's here. He could have stopped it. He didn't do anything. He was a bad pastor. But three times, it talks about the disposition of Jesus. He's disposed toward Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Guys, he's disposed... Lord, you. He loves you. He's moved by your sin and he majors on life. So Jesus, once more deeply moved, there it is again, came to the tomb and it was a cave with a stone laid across it. He says, Take away the stone. Enough of this. Take away the stone. I can't stand it anymore. And Martha says, No, 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 Lord. He's been dead four days. The body's in full decomp right now. The odor is going to be awful. It's going to be unsightly. It's going to be unpleasant. I don't want that for Lazarus. I don't want that for us. I don't want that for you. And Jesus said, Martha, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And that stops her. Martha was a busybody to the nth degree, but that stopped her. So she said, Take it away. And they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up, and he preached this prayer. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I I know that you you always hear me. And then he says this. I love this because it's for us. By the way, God, I only said that so these people standing here would know that you and I are talking about this. I I love that part. It's just almost humorous to me. And, And they would believe that you sent me. And so when he had finished doing that, he calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus! Come forth. And it says Lazarus comes out. Guys, this is a miracle in itself because if you know what they did to a body when they prepared it for burial, they wrapped each individual limb with strips of cloth. Then they pulled them together and they wrapped the whole body in strips of cloth. Lazarus can't just get up and walk out. He comes out of the grave something like this. And and it takes a while. I want you to get the full effect here. (laughs) It, It takes a while for him to come out. And Jesus sees him wrapped in all this. He says, take off his grave clothes. Let him go. And He didn't say that to the people. He said that to death. Take off his grave clothes. Let him go. He's mine. That's the promise that God makes to us. See, all the best that we have to give, all the most beautiful art and literature and music and poetry, all the the best in cinematography, all the greatest in in diplomacy and politics, all the greatest in athletic achievement, all the greatest in, in architecture and everything that we can produce, only at its best will ever produce an occupied grave. But this Jesus came to empty the grave. He's insistent in the face of death's objections. See, I told you to remember this. They had this belief, this superstition, that when somebody died and you buried them, the ghost of the person who died hung around the grave for three days waiting for entrance back into the body. Now you begin to understand why Jesus waited. Because four days needs to be passed so they'll know this isn't the result of their superstitious beliefs. This is the result that is only attributed as an act of God, and you get a full picture on that resurrection day of who I am. Isn't that cool? And then finally... Even in death, we gravitate to God. Do you ever wonder why Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth? Because if he had just said, hey, come out of there, every grave in the cemetery would have emptied in an instant. Because in death, the soul, the body has no other response than to gravitate to God. In death, we hear him. In death, we come to him and we receive our final directions. And the Bible tells us that at the end, there is going to be a great gathering as God calls forth from the grave, those who are dead and the living and the dead are judged according to their reaction to Christ, to their deeds and what they've done with Jesus Christ. And so we gravitate to God in our death just like we must in our life. Ultimately, Jesus is the only one who can remove our grave clothes from us. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies and everyone who lives and believes in me, he shall never die. The question is, do you believe this? It's like Paul wrote to the church in Rome. He said, you know, If we were restored to friendship with God through the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, that empty tomb we celebrate today on Easter Sunday, 2022, that life that Jesus has, that resurrected power, that resurrection life will certainly help deliver us from eternal punishment by His life. Isn't that cool? I don't know what your reaction is this morning what your response is. That's between you and God. But I want to pray over you and help you kind of move that direction. There may be some in this room, some of you guys online, that you've had a business relationship with God all these years. It's an association. You and God have this LLC thing going on that He has His responsibilities, you have your responsibility. And if He does His part, you'll do your part and vice versa. What God is really wanting for you is a relationship. What God wants from you is intimacy. Remember, you can't be intimate and remote, and God's drawing you to him. You're like my friend who just in these recent days has come to Christ because he says, you know what, I really do believe this is the eternal truth. Maybe God's reached into your life this morning, and you need to respond to that. We're going to give you the opportunity. Maybe you as a believer are kind of like Mary and Martha, I mean, you get it. You're just, your, your pictures of God have gotten kind of muddy because you, you think he's only going to do it this way and God says, no, I'm doing something different in your life right now. You need to trust me in this. Do you believe this? And your response is you say, okay, Lord, on Easter Sunday, I, I'm going to make a statement that I believe that. Maybe you're like Lazarus and you're needing God to resurrect something in your life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your, your attentiveness to the Lord himself. We're going to pray and we're going to let you make your decision and make your response to God right where you're praying. So you just pray along with me. Guys online, do the same thing. Here we go. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the power of the resurrection that we celebrate. And we know it wasn't Lazarus' resurrection that makes a difference in the world. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the greatest resurrection, the one who was sacrificed for our sins, for all men, for all time, was buried in a barred grave and raised up the third day because he overcame death. That's why Lazarus can overcome death. That's why you and I can overcome death. So, Father, we celebrate that. Just like Jim said, it's a party this morning. We celebrate. Father, I pray business at hand, that there's some in this room who may not have ever trusted you. It's a business relationship and not a personal relationship. Father, you want the, per- the personal relationship first and foremost. I pray that they would turn from their sin, claim Jesus as Savior, say, I believe that and that alone, and give their lives to that. Father, I pray for the believers in this room, Father, that you would encourage us to fall into deeper intimacy and a better picture, a clearer picture of who you are, that you are the God who holds life in his hands and we can live a life in this day in resurrection power and wait anxiously and optimistically for what's to come next for us. So Father, I pray on this Resurrection Sunday we would walk out of this place confident and ready to live for you on Monday morning at 8 o'clock when we've got to be back at the office or school or wherever we're going. Lord, I pray that we would do that throughout this week. Thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for being a part of what God's doing here at the Heights Fellowship. If the Lord led you to make a decision or you have a question or a need, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at the email listed below, info at theheightsfellowship.org. And we will join you in praying as you take a step forward on your journey with God.